Well, I'd rather make a living being myself. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Hey, welcome into the 48 Days Radio Show, where each week yeah, we take about 48 minutes, just based on our brand, to dive into real-life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, and then how to find or create work that allows you to show up every day excited to be able to do something that is, in fact, meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Hey, we're going to talk about how to move into retirement. We're going to talk about how to live your own dream, how to stop living somebody else's dream. Hey, we may even talk about how to have a meaningful marriage in the mix of all of this. Welcome to the 48 Days Radio Show. This is episode number 604, coming out on March 23rd, which has some significance for me, as I'll tell you here in a minute. Here's some of the things that we'll be looking at today. Our rent was $27.50 a month. Well, we'll put that in perspective. Dan, I'm tired of living somebody else's dream. Can I really rock retirement? Can my 11-year-old daughter sell her doll designs to Mattel? Well, interesting questions. We've got a lot to cover today. We've got a, I got a great interview with my friend Roger Whitney that we're going to sneak in here to talk about how to rock retirement based on his new book coming out. Hey, a lot of other things as well. Our quotation today comes from a song that a listener introduced me to by Steve Mokler. I was not familiar with. And the quotation is, I'd rather make a living being myself than a killing being someone else. Now I'm going to pull you a little clip from that song here in a minute. Delightful song. And what a great message. Well, as I'm recording this, Joanne and I are getting ready to celebrate our 50th anniversary. By the time you hear this, it will have already occurred, having taken place on the 23rd of March. But you know, I'm reminded about so many things, obviously, reflecting back about how we've enjoyed simple pleasures along the way. I mean, when we got married, you know, we talk about today, you hear about how people plan for you know, a $30,000 wedding and all of the things that come along with that. Well, that wasn't our deal and we didn't wait until we could afford it. We've never waited until we could afford anything. We didn't wait till we could afford it to get married or to have kids or start a business. Never have. We've just always let our dreams kind of precede the reality of what we did. So we planned our wedding having about $200 in total assets between the two of us. And we pretty much, you know, had to do it on our own. The flowers were $70 that we committed to. But when I inquired about the bill right before our wedding, we were told it had already been paid. Now to this day, I have no idea who would have done that. We didn't have wealthy friends, just a few family members around. And I really don't have any idea how that happened or if it was a mistake, but listen up because there's more coming. All right. So the fee for the photographer for our black and white only pictures, that was all we could afford was $60. 
So we committed to that. And my mom made our beautiful wedding cake. I mean, it really was gorgeous. And we had the reception, you know, complete with a, a few little bowls of nuts and candies that were donated by a couple ladies in the church. We had the reception in the church basement. I gave the pastor $10 for his services, and we left for one night in a hotel before returning to college classes the next day. I mean, we, we didn't plan where we were going to go for that one night. We just started driving. And we drove to Columbus, Ohio, which was about 45 minutes away, and just found a hotel that we decided to stay at. Now, the next morning when I went to pay our bill, I was told it had already been paid. I said, you know, it's impossible. Nobody knew where we were. Nobody knew where we were going because we didn't know where we were going. And they insisted that it had already been paid. Now that kind of started our marriage off. You get a sense of some of the things that have happened and, and we've lived that kind of magical life ever since now for 50 years, but there were so many things that were just simple pleasures along the way that we've been privileged to enjoy. Our first home was an eight by 42 foot trailer that was in a trailer park just at the edge of the Ohio state university where we were both attending. Now our monthly rent if we owned the trailer, we had squeaked out $1,245, if you want to know, for that trailer that we lived in the first four years of our marriage. Our monthly rent was $27.50. That included water. So we were pretty set with that $27.50. That was our rent. I had a car. I mean, I, the first car I ever had was a Model A Ford that I had built from the ground up. So we had that, but that's not really a practical car for driving every day. I had purchased for Joanne before we got married, an English Ford. Now you have to really kind of, those aren't certainly popular. You can look it up if you want to, but an English Ford, I paid $125 for it. So that was her car. And then after we'd been married for some time and we had our first little boy, a couple of years after we were married, we got a family car. I paid $700 for an almost new Ford Falcon, little blue two-door Ford Falcon, very practical. I mean, I'm a car guy, so it wasn't my dream car by any means, but it was practical being newly married with a little baby at that point. I did make a list just recently. My daughter Ashley asked me to make a list of the cars that I've owned. And you've heard me talk about cars. I love cars. And so I made a list. And at this point, starting with that 1931 Ford Model A Ford that I made a, a pretty outrageous hot rod from, um, I made a list of 53 cars that I'm up to at this point. I'm sure I've missed some along the way. But um, had a lot of fun with cars during our marriage. Joanne never knows what she's going to be driving next because there have been times when she has come home and everything she had in the car is in a cardboard box sitting on the porch because I sold a car ready to get something else. But uh, I've had a lot of fun with cars. I've had a lot of exotic cars. I've had BMWs, Jags, Volvos, Mercedes, only Corvettes, Lincolns. Of course, I've got my 1939 Plymouth pickup truck parked in a corner back here that is a yard art. It's just part of the decoration. So I've had some of those as well, but had a lot of fun 
you know, Porsches, Carmen Gias over the years, a lot of cars. I've never had a car payment. Uh, that's, that would be ridiculous to go through cars like I do and try to set things up at a bank. So I've never purchased a car that I couldn't just pay for. So I've had a lot of fun with cars over the years, continue to do so. Still, uh, my, my model is if I get a notice that I have a registration due on a car, meaning that I need to renew the license plate. Wow. It's a reminder. Golly, I've had this thing too long. I like to flip them before that comes due. Got a couple right now that I've had for a little longer than that, but uh, spring is coming. Again, I've got the bug. I'm on the hunt already looking for other things. Now I could go on with hundreds of examples of like, unexpected blessings we've had. Um, God, like just sharing meals and laughter at our table rather than fancy restaurants. Children and grandchildren now who value time together more than things. And our greatest pleasures for joining me all along the years have come not from extravagance, but from recognizing the, the value in nature's beauty, creating new adventures, nurturing loving relationships. I mean, this morning I'm sitting here looking out the window, seeing the, the daffodils come up around my old pickup truck, watching the sunshine I encourage everything to just burst into springtime and getting ready to take Joanne to an old plantation house where we'll enjoy a quiet brunch. I, I trust that you're seeing new growth as we go into spring, that you're reflecting on good times, both in, you know, the things that you see in nature and in your own possibilities as spring is exploding all around us. You know, don't let the news blur your vision. Enjoy simple pleasures. I mean, that's not to mean that you can't expect nicer things along the way, but things really have very little to do with our happiness when we look back after a few years have passed, like we have the the luxury of doing at this particular time. Thanks for your well wishes. We've gotten lots and lots of well wishes from people. I thank you for that. And I'm encouraged by that. Uh, we don't plan to uh, move off into retirement anytime in the foreseeable future at all. I love what, what I'm doing. We both love this season of our life and the things that we're able to do. I want to continue uh, bringing hope and inspiration to all of you who um encourage us with your listening and the ongoing comments. Now here's, here's something I want to, I want to play a little music clip for you, but it came to me from Nathan Magnuson, who's a listener of the podcast. He said, if you um, haven't heard this song by Nashville singer songwriter, Steve Mokor, you've got to hear it. And it's titled, I'd rather make a living. I want to play a little clip and then I'll, I'm going to read you some lyrics just to make sure that you really got them. So check this out. Well, 
we may come back to that a little bit later on in the show today. I may play a little bit more of that at the end. But the lyrics there, of course, the chorus, as you hear it, is I'd rather make a living just being myself. I'd rather make a living being myself than a killing being someone else. Wow. And then the verse that I played there was... I could trade this guitar for a tie wrapped around my neck, grab a 401k, rent would never be late. I could cash my dreams for some check. Wow. Can you imagine that? I could cash my dreams for some check. Give up your dreams in exchange for a check. Now, I know there's a balance here, but I've always pursued doing something that I just enjoyed doing. I've never gone for a check thinking there's any kind of compromise in just living out my dreams. Now, just this week, I talked to a lady that I'm going to be working with, going to be coaching her through a very important transition. She has a master's degree in engineering. She has an MBA, master's in business administration, and she's working on her PhD in engineering. Now, she comes from a family culture, family environment of encouraging to get a degree in the hard sciences because you'll never be without a job. So she's been working on her PhD in engineering, and she's sitting there watching videos that are part of the PhD program with tears running down her her cheeks onto the pages below. And her husband says, you don't have to do this. You're a grown woman. You're 39 years old. You don't have to continue trying to live out your family's expectations. Now, this is a challenging transition, but she's doing something that's very, very much left brain, very statistical, factual, analytical, calculated. And her heart is in things that are very empathetic, caring, nurturing. She wants to be involved, you know, helping people in meditation, mindfulness, thoughtfulness, caring. She's living out of her head when her heart is calling to her. Thinking, wow. But there's an example. We can help her honor her dream, honor her heart. Rather make a living being myself than a killing being someone else. Well, great thought for today. And a lot of you probably identify with that. And if you're doing what this young lady is doing, I encourage you as well, create a plan to live out your dream, follow your heart. That doesn't mean you just ignore responsibility, not at all. You know, this week in our Monday mentors call in the 48 days Eagles community, I interviewed Justin Bailey. Now, Justin's a young guy. He's working in IT and doing very well, and it's certainly not distasteful to him, but he knows there's more that he wants to do. Came out of a military background, continues to serve in the uh, the National Guard, but he developed a site called Code of Character. So he's working with men, really challenging them to you know be true to their character, their values, honor, integrity. And I did an interview with him. And, and talked about how he's having this side project develop where now he has a podcast. 
He has a Facebook group with 4,700 members in it already. He has a membership site for Code of Character, and he's seeing how this can develop into being something really meaningful, and perhaps at some point, replace the income he's used to getting in a more traditional job. Not being forced to do that, but he's seeing how it's growing, and in the growing, it really has a potential to do that. And another example of just following a dream, putting some real legs on it, being intentional, having a strategy and some real things that you're doing. And all of a sudden it's developing really nicely. So anyway, hey, that's just one of the many things that happen in the, in the Eagles community. If, you have, if you're not yet a member, check it out. We're changing things, adding things daily in there. Not only new content, but increasing the relationships that people are having. Just go to 48dayseagles.com. I've changed how you can apply directly. We ask for things like your phone number, as an example, in the application, because I like being able to just to pick, pick up the phone. Just this last Saturday, a young lady had written me a lengthy email about the impact that the 48 Days Eagles community is having on her and her husband and a new venture that they're pursuing. And she laid that out. And I thought, golly, instead of just saying, hey, nice, nice plan, I just picked up the phone and called her. I had a great conversation, was able to encourage her and give her some guidance about how to make their new dream become a reality. Now, as we talk about moving into these things where we're talking about how to make your dreams a reality and that continues, you know, then it comes up. What do you do when you get to the end of that? Is there an end to living out your dreams? Well, for me, I don't plan there to be an end to living out my dreams. I don't plan to change my life dramatically at some given point where I then am privileged to do nothing. You know, that idea is not an appealing idea to me at all. The the idea of doing nothing. So as I talk about moving into later years, whatever that may look like, I'm going to continue new ventures. My goodness, the things that we've got going right now. I mean, we're getting ready to launch the online version of the 48 Days Seminar. We're growing exponentially the 48 Days Eagles community. Of course, my mastermind is a very meaningful part of what I'm doing. I've got a new book that I'm working on that I'm excited about releasing, hopefully, yet this year on the power of investing in yourself. Uh, we're just, we just launched a brand new site, 48 Days Press, in which I'm working more closely with people who want to bring a book to life. We've got so many resources in the 48 Days community where we can connect you with those, or I can, I can, if I personally recommend your book, then it's a guaranteed done deal to be published. So I'm looking for things that align with the 48 Days brand, books about how to bring your work to life, how to live out your passion, how to live out your dream, how to do work that's meaningful, purposeful, and fulfilling and profitable. I mean, those are the kind of things. So if you've got some ideas there, check out 48 Days Press. But I'm exploding in new things that I'm doing, certainly not looking to, to slow down. Now, that being said, I want to play this clip from an interview that I did with Roger Whitney, who's in my personal 48 Days Mastermind. Uh, We call it the Eaglepreneurs, but he's in there. He's got a brand new book that's just being released this week called Rock Retirement. So without further ado, let me play this and then we'll comment it a little bit. It's a short clip. We'll come back and get some other things. I got some good news things I want to share with you and then certainly some listener questions as well. Check us out. Roger Whitney, great to have you as a guest today. 
I am excited to be here, Dan. I feel honored. Well, hey, my pleasure for sure. I'm excited about your new book coming out. Just released this week, as a matter of fact, Rock Retirement. The subtitle is A Simple Guide to Help You Take Control and Be More Optimistic About the Future. So Definitely, definitely. Rock Retirement. You know, when we talk about retirement, a lot of people just kind of try to uh, close their eyes and ignore that. How do you... Re- define retirement. And you and I have talked about this word because I'm not a big fan of the word retirement, and I don't think you are, but it's the label that a lot of us put on it, right? And uh, most people think of retirement as like a light switch where they work and save and invest and sacrifice so they can have a lot of fun later on when they quote unquote retire. Uh, And I think that's a really bad model. I think of retirement more as like a dimmer switch where you you have more balance in your life. And then as you mature and go through different phases, you slowly gain more time freedom to pursue the things that you want. Uh, I think that's a much healthier way to do it than this, you know, idea of sacrificing your life for some future benefit. Golly, that sounds pretty exciting just to kind of slide into doing the things you want to do, you know, and working with people on their careers they often frame retirement as the time when I can quit this stinking job and then do something that I really enjoy. Well, what a novel idea. Exactly. And I think that's an old mentality of, you know, working in the factory and, you know, trying to just put your time in for your pension. But that is that all worked for our parents or our grandparents. But we have so much more control if we choose to take it to actually, well, you know this, right? In 48 days, you can do work you love and have time freedom. And then maybe you just create a life that you don't want to retire from. Oh, my. There you right? go. That's appealing. Now, here's, here's an issue connected with that, and that is the age issue. Most people kind of think about retirement at eh, 65 years old. In your book, you say a 20-year-old today has a 50% chance of living to 100 or more. Yeah. Isn't that My crazy? gosh. So, I mean, half the people living today could see 100. That changes the idea of retirement. If somebody wants to retire at 65 and lives to be 100, 35 years of doing what? Yeah, exactly. Well, and, even, and today, a 60-year-old has a 50-50 chance of living past 90. So what are you going to do with all that time? And what I found is, because I work with clients over 50 normally, people that are transitioning to quote-unquote retirement. And what I found in my 27 years is that they, they worked and lived in the old model, and then they ran into retirement. Really what they were doing is they were running from the pain of this full-time work of the job they hate. And they looked at retirement as an escape, and then they get there. And after maybe a year or so of honeymoon, they get bored. Mm. And they either act out in lots of different ways, right? Over, you know, do too much in hobbies and golfing and or go. Ultimately, they go back to work doing something that they love that they can make a little bit of money on. And they never so they end up it's not the absence of work, I think. It's being able to have some control over your time. So you can pursue things you love in work, but also pursue the hobbies and interests that you love outside of work. 
All right, now let's address the money issue because that looms large when people think about retirement. Uh, you've got a section in your book where you say your life is more than a math problem and you say money is an important but not critical factor in having a great retirement. Health, relationships, and purpose matter more. Now you take a really broad view of how to prepare for retirement. So it's not just a matter of working the finances. Yeah, and I think that is a big problem with how we think about retirement is because, well, really, you know, I'm a financial planner by trade and I used to teach financial planning for the certified financial planning curriculum, which is the curriculum that advisors use. And it boils down people's lives to a math problem. It's all about saving and investing. Uh, and we have so much more control over the things in our life that, uh, that we don't think about near enough. So money is important, but so is your network, so is your purpose, and so are friendships. And as you gain more time freedom, you better pay as much attention to those as you do the money. Otherwise, you're going to get there and you're going to be a little bit lonely and maybe unhealthy too. Wow. You know, when I see people moving into retirement and see that as being a very dismal time in their lives, it usually involves no money, no friends, no purpose or some combination of those three. And you talk about that a lot. So retirement is... And what, not- I, what I find, Dan, is I've seen people that live on very modest amounts of money, but they have the health and they have the purpose part really figured out. And you know what? They're really happy. So I think... But and I know people that have lots of money that don't have the purpose or health figured out. And they're not happy. Wow. Okay. So you've got a lot of content that deals with those issues as well as just the money part. Now, how has the idea of retirement changed over the last 20 years? I mean, you've got, you've got kids. I've got kids. You know, they don't talk about this thing called retirement as much as our parents did. How has it changed over the last 20 years? Well, and I think that's, I think the way retirement's changed in terms of, see, I come from the finance world, uh, and the book really questions a lot of the premises that we use when we think about retirement. And most of the time, you know, if you say the word retirement, the image is your grandparents or you as an older person sitting on the park bench of life, relaxing after years of hard work, which made sense, especially when People, my grandfather came out of the factory, came out of the postal service actually, and when he retired, he was worn out physically, worn out, mm. and he lived maybe six or seven years, and then passed. Well, the modern retiree is living. You know, let's assume you do the old model, but you retire at sixty. Well, one, you're going to live a lot longer than my grandfather did. Two, you're going to be a lot more active. Most people look at retirement as their chance to finally live, not rest. So they're not going to be on the park bench of life. They really want to be in the playground of life. So they're going to live a lot longer. They're going to be a lot more active. And they're going to spend a lot more money. Those are three very big things that blow up the old way we think about retirement. So we better plan for that. Okay, now let's kind of back into that because so now we've got 20-year-olds 
who don't view work in the same way. They don't view security in the same way. I know, you know, 20 and 30 year olds, they could care less about having a Mercedes in the driveway. They don't have a 401k. You know, they've done nothing to plan for retirement. They can live in a friend's closet while they're trekking across Europe somewhere. They want to be connected with people. They want to experience things. They want to make the world a better place. Wow, are these are these people going to be up? And now we're talking about them living to be 100 rather than just 65. I mean, are they totally losing ground on having this rich retirement that you're talking about? Well, I think by, by using the old model of the math problem, I think everybody is really losing ground or in a bad place <laughs> using the old math model. But if you accept that you're going to work a lot longer and then you noodle on how do I create work that I actually love, maybe in 48 days, then that solves the majority of the money problem. So when I look at the millennials, and I have two as children, and see, you know, from the older version, I'm 51. Wow, they're not, they're, you know, when I got out of college and you know, when I went to college, it was I better get a job. And I felt I had to go on this path to be successful. And I look at them and like, well, they're not doing that. Well, maybe intuitively, Dan, they have figured something out that we can't relate to, which is I'm going to be living a lot longer. What's the rush? As long as I'm taking care of myself and they'll probably enter where you and I entered just later in life as far as getting married and having kids, which statistically it shows that. So maybe they are going to have a much more balanced life than what our generations did because they're not in such a rush to get that pension and build up all those assets. They're actually enjoying themselves. All right. Golly. All right. I've got one more question I want to just kind of hit on. It's kind of a broad question, but you talk so often when we think about retirement and when we start thinking about, gee, am I going to have enough money? Uh, there's the pressure to spend less now. Don't enjoy things now. Save for the future. You kind of dismantle that idea of saving now so you can just have it in the future. Unpack that for us a little bit, because I think that's a really optimistic, positive thought. Well, I think, you know, now let's be clear, because we're talking about the softer side of things. I'm not saying that being financially prudent isn't smart. You have to save and you have to invest. It's just not the only way. Right. And right now, if you go to a financial planner advisor, it's basically going to come down to a math problem and you're going to have a gap and they're going to tell you, you, you need to save less or you need to save more. You need to live on less or you're going to have less of a life later on. Um, what I mean by that is if we think of all of our money decisions, I, I always use the analogy of a teeter totter and we're straddling it. We're standing on top of a teeter totter. And on one end, we want to have a great life today. On the other end, we want to be good stewards for later in life. Some people in our industry, my industry, always wants you to be out of balance in saving for tomorrow to try to build up this whole nest egg. And I think there can be a lot more balance there where we can actually enjoy our kids and we can actually enjoy our work and work a lot longer. And it's that income equation uh, an enjoyment and purpose equation that really will solve a lot of this problem. Yeah. Wow. So in the way that people think, and certainly the way that I encourage people to think, we aren't thinking in terms of making hourly pay. We're talking about doing projects 
that will exponentially increase somebody's income. And we have lots and lots of examples in the 40 days community of people doing that. So if they have a fixed income, then this idea of saving and spending less makes sense. But when we come outside of that fixed model, and I mean, last week on the way back here on a, on a flight, I stopped in the airport store and bought a, a book. I spent $15.10 on a book. By the time we landed in Nashville, I had a very concrete plan mapped out that will save me $6,495 for the remainder of this year. I mean, that's the way I always think. So I talk to people about not how can you save more, but how can you make more? I mean, that really is a lot of what your encouragement yeah. is as well. Yeah, a good friend of mine, Paula Pant, you know, when, when people talk about cash flow, they always sit, they always focus on the budget and spending, right? And there's only so much frugaling you can do. That's what Paula says. The real opportunity is on the income side of it and getting out of that dollars for hours mindset and thinking creatively about what we can do. And you're, you know, you're, the people that listen to your show get it. That's why they listen. But the majority of people still have the old generation's mindset of it's trading time for money. And they don't think about the more entrepreneurial or creative ways that you can, you can provide for your family and actually give your family more security because you have a little bit more control over it. Oh, my. Absolutely. Well, guys, my guest has been Roger Whitney author of Rock Retirement. I love your approach, Roger, to this, looking at this innovatively. Uh, I love the idea of thinking about being 100 years old and still having a lot of fun. And, yeah. and, and the way I think, as you know, man, when I'm 100 years old, I'm going to have 16 new ideas about how to make money anyway. So it all comes together, <laughs> works well. How can people access your book and get more connection with your resources? Well, they can check it out and get all the resources and uh, purchase that at rockretirementbook.com. Rock, re, rockretirementbook.com. Fantastic. Thanks for being with us, Roger. You bet. Well, there you go. Interview with my friend, Roger. Great perspective on this idea of rock and retirement. Can rock retirement book.com is where you can go rockretirementbook.com get some free bonuses and resources there i encourage you to check that out you know here's my takeaway from my interview there with roger you know a lot of people at the beginning of their careers do things that it may involve travel exploring just trying things out and i encourage people that there's not much that i would consider a mistake in those early years of a career it's not like you missed your window of opportunity because at 22 years old you know you decided to go fly fishing for a year rather than get in a corporate position ah, those kind of personal exploration uh, processes tend to deepen your perspective at recognizing really what the best path is. I mean, a lot of people who make a career decision very early in life decide at 35 years old, wow, I'm afraid I'm missing something. And they want to then do a process of exploration. You know, we're at 45, even having professional degrees after their names. I mean, I'm not discouraging that, but I'm saying it often happens like that. So I encourage people to keep 
allowing those unique experiences in your life that are going to allow you to see things differently than other people do, where they have too narrow a vision and closed eyes to the opportunities all around them. And here's the real point. My takeaway from my conversation with Roger, living your dream, as we've been talking about all during our show today, living your dream can allow you to catch up quicker, even if you feel like you're behind right now. If you're locked into a position where you get a fixed amount of income, you know, yeah, then you better be planning strategically, maybe spending less and saving more. But if you really give yourself the liberty to live your dream, a lot of times that translates into just exponential income. I listened this morning to an interview with Laura Maker, who is the founder of Laura Bars, the healthy bars that you see at Whole Foods and Trader Joe's and places. But she did that just because she was, she wanted personally to have a more nutritious, a healthier bar that didn't have a lot of sugar preservatives and all those kind of chemicals added to it and made that. Well, it grew very quickly. Five years after she started the business, she was given an offer that she couldn't refuse. One of those, you know, millions and millions of dollars from General Mills and was able to walk away from that and now doing other fun things in her life as well. But living your dream has that kind of potential where you can catch up a whole lot quicker financially, even if you feel like you're a little behind right now. Well, hey, let's move on. Man, got a lot, a whole lot to cover here. I want to give you a couple good news clips here before we go into some questions. So here's the heading. A year after their fight went viral. Two teenagers are still learning from the man who stepped in. It's been a year ago since a video of a street fight between Sheldon Ward and Jamar Mobley first went viral, but their fists weren't the reason why the clip made headlines worldwide. It was because of the man who stepped in to stop the fight. Now, this is a video that was recorded by a young onlooker. You know how that happens. You know, two guys get in a fight and their peers are, are standing around egging them on and somebody's taking a video of the stupid thing. Well, suddenly here comes Allie Miller. He marches up to the group, steps into the middle of the fight and demands that the youth stop exchanging blows. He says, look, you're almost men. You're not kids anymore. Start acting like it. You're not going to get anywhere like this. He then insisted that he wasn't going to leave until the two teenagers shook hands. And they did. Now, when asked, this was a year ago, when asked why they felt inclined to listen to the man, Sheldon and Jamar both said that it was because they had never had father figures to tell them not to fight. He said to us what a father should have said to us. This is just last week in an interview. Now, one year after the fight broke out, Miller still meets with the youngsters once a week to offer up his wisdom and advice. Not only that, but Jamar and Sheldon, the two teenagers, say that he's become a role model for the rest of the youths in their community. Once they know that someone's paying attention, once they know someone loves them, once they know that people are going to be there for them and hold them accountable, you know, they'll rise to the occasion. Miller, the older gentleman who said, when he was talking to CBS. Well, the rest of the story is these two young teenagers now consider themselves to be best friends, and they are. And one of Jamar says, I just hated this person. I just wanted to fight this person. Now we're calling each other brothers. Wow, the power of stepping in, taking leadership, being a good example is just non-ending. You know, it reminds me, um, well, it's been several years ago now, 
God, I need to look it up. But I, I commented, I blogged about a story about a little boy who was admiring a shiny brand new sports car parked on a quiet street. I mean, he walked around this amazing vehicle, just savoring every angle. And he pushed his nose up against the window to get a better view inside. And the voice of the owner who walked up behind him startled him. So let's, we'll call him Bob. The owner says, you like my car? Oh yeah, mister. It's awesome. Well, the proud owner said, my brother gave it to me for Christmas. Your brother gave it to you? Didn't cost you nothing? The little boy asked. Yep, my brother gave it to me. Didn't cost me a penny. Wow, I wish. Now I know where your thinking is going. What is a young boy going to say? And of course, you know, the owner of the car, Bob knew how he was going to finish the sentence. I wish I had a brother like that, but that's not what the little boy said. Bob was stunned, as you may be, when we hear the little boy said, I wish I could be a brother like that. Is that cool or what? I mean, which brother are you? The one who's on the receiving end or the one? I wish I could be a brother like that, that could give my little brother a car. You know, somewhat often, you know, I hear from people who are waiting for a handout from the government, the company, the lottery, they hope to get an inheritance. Well, if you're hoping for an unexpected and undeserved gift to make your life better, or are you doing the things today to guarantee your success five years from now? The things that identify you as a leader, the things that allow you to be the giving brother rather than the taker. Well, hey, one more story here I want to tell you about real quick. This is uh, where uh, a gal spent years trying to cut a little autistic boy's hair. And she was just determined to get a breakthrough. So Lisa Ann McKenzie has spent the last two years trying to cut the hair of a little 10-year-old boy with autism. Not only has her most recent breakthrough resulted in a successful haircut for the boy, but it's also led dozens of other special needs kids to her chair as well. So McKenzie first met Jordy Rollins when she was working at a barber shop in North Lakes, Australia. Jordy's parent brought in the little boy for a haircut. He was to be McKenzie's first ever nonverbal client in the course of her 30-year career. Unfortunately, it was a total disaster. The experience was frightening for the little boy, never could really get him to settle down. She says she felt like she had failed. It made her want to do better. She was determined to succeed. So she started, she asked the little boy's parents to bring him in every two weeks at closing time and then refused to charge him any money for her attempted services. She was determined to find a way to break through to cut this little boy's hair without having him just throw a fit. After dozens of different methods, she just didn't seem to be able to break through. She even tried cutting the little boy's hair at home, but to no avail. Now, to make matters more frustrating, the owner of the barbershop found out about her appointments and disciplined her for cutting a client's hair after hours. She says, working for a chain barber, and I won't give you the name, you have to be robots with everything black and white, no gray areas. She said, I quit shortly thereafter without any plans for my future. But after leaving the store, she opened her own shop called the Celtic Barber. So she invited the little boy to continue making regular visits to her shop. And then a few weeks ago, McKenzie had a breakthrough with the youngster when she started singing the wheels on the bus. 
She said, I didn't know he was into nursery rhymes. I was just still trying to find something to calm him down. But he looked at me like he was mesmerized. I had him. That was it. So she would sing. The wheels on the bus go round and round, round. And, and she just goes through verse after verse after verse. And he sat there just mesmerized, totally calm and quiet while she gave him a haircut. She said, tears were rolling down my face. His mom was crying. His dad was crying. All of us. Now, Jordy, the little boy, walks in, holding my hand, sits in the chair with a gown on. We get through the cut our own special way, and he now manages a full haircut. We can style it. Amazingly, he now interacts with me, and I even get a hug at the end. Well, she posted a video of her success, and you can find it easily. News of her success spread around town. She now has a hundred special needs customers that are coming to her. In order to accommodate her new clients, she has had to train four other barbers on how to properly work with them as well. Now the shop sets aside one Sunday out of the month for autism-friendly appointments only. I mean, is that a cool story or what? Golly, I love those kind of stories. Never get tired of them. Hey, I want to tell you about another book, another friend of mine, another personal friend, Dr. Clark Gaither. Uh, he's got a, had an illustrious career as a physician, has done some things for community health in North Carolina, was honored as a physician of the year a couple years ago in North Carolina. He has a new book out titled Reignite. Now this has to do, and it ties in with what we're talking about today, has to do with burnout. So many professionals experience burnout. Well, he addresses that in his delightful book, Reignite, Transform from Burned Out to On Fire and Find New Meaning in Your Career and Life. Now, he told me that's available right now on Amazon in Kindle format for 99 cents. So I jump over there, but check it out. Just find it on Amazon, Reignite by my friend, Dr. Clark Gaither. If you know somebody who's dealing with burnout, and their professional career especially, that's a great resource for you, and I recommend it highly. Hey, one quick question. Dan, good morning. I'm a very long-time listener of yours since 2001. I'm grateful for your lessons. Uh, now write you regarding an idea. This comes from Caroline, incidentally. Writing you regarding an idea my 11-year-old daughter has been pursuing. Her passions are dolls, American dolls and Barbie dolls. She also enjoys story writing, script writing, has written countless stories, mostly with the dolls as characters. She has a passion for fashion designing and has now taken to designing for the Barbie dolls. Now, as she's homeschooled, what she wants to do is design clothing for the Barbie dolls. And mom, Caroline, is wondering about sending designs to Mattel, but wondering about, you know, protecting those designs you know through a patent and so on okay let me just kind of cut to the chase here because we're about out of time that's a really long shot the, the the chances of having mattel respond to designs in any fashion whether you're 11 or uh, 67 um are, are really really slim for one thing mattel is a major major company i mean there's a lot going on right now i'm working with somebody who's one of the executives at mattel but uh, there's a lot of transition going on there's a potential merger with hasbro so we'd see the merger of mr potato head monopoly tonka my little pony and a whole lot of other things with the mattel characters fisher price friends Thomas and Friends, Barbie, Hot Wheels, you know, so who knows what's going to go on there, but major, major company. 
Um, combined with that, with the fact that Toys R Us has filed bankruptcy, they're closing 182 stores. You know, you're dealing with things that are so big, so monstrous, such big monopolies there that uh, that's really a tough way to go. You can experiment with that, but the chances of success in that arena are infinitesimally small, unfortunately. Now, what I encourage you to do is, I'm going to go ahead and pull up a song to start us getting out of here. I'm going to go with this Rather Make an 11 again. I'd encourage you to check out my friends Jason and Cinnamon Miles, what they've done with their Liberty Jane clothing. Cinnamon was making clothes for American dolls. It was so successful, she couldn't keep up, and they switched from making the actual clothes to making patterns only. And have had astounding success. But check out LibertyJaneClothing.com. And you can see their story and what they're doing. Also, you can have your daughter put her designs up on Etsy. And again, sell the actual clothing if she wants to. Or patterns for the designs. And experiment with doing some things like that on Etsy or Pinterest. You know, so she can certainly pursue what she's doing. But don't be disappointed by not being able to work with a major company like Mattel right out of the gate. Get creative about what you're going to do on a personal level. Your success there will then ultimately get the, the attention of a major company, perhaps, and allow you to move into that direction. Well, let's go out today with this song, Rather Make a Living Being Myself. Golly, what a great message for us to end on. Rather make a living just being myself. I'd rather make a living being myself than a killing being somebody else. So my question for you is this, is your work a reflection of who you are or are you trying to make a killing being someone else? I'd encourage you not to do that. You know what we talk about here. Thanks for being part of this community. I love getting your questions every week, interacting with you, seeing those of you who are involved in the 48 Days Eagles community, knowing that we are in fact finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and fulfilling. Don't sell it for us.